I have the other two. Oops. Hello, everybody, and Hello. welcome back to the Infinite Jest Book Club and podcast. Uh, coming to you uh, the day after Labor Day, and I hope that you guys are well. We are joined so far by Erica and Kevin, and I know that we will have a couple more folks joining as we continue. But hello, guys. How are you? Good, good. Great, well. Good. How are you? I am making miracles happen. Just started school today. Uh, nice. Oh, it was, yeah, I, I changed changed a lot of lives. One girl walks in. She's like, you started already? I was like, excuse me? She's like, I remember you from last year. Do you start already? So, yeah, I started at 730 this morning. Nice to see you too, dear. That's funny. Yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, so what do we have going on in the book? Um, so we're in the middle of the Onantiad, which I was thinking the other day because of my Grateful Dead problem. Like if this were written out like a Grateful Dead set list, it would be like Onantiad into Lyle into Gately at the AA meeting, back into the Onant. Like, like it's just like, holy cow. And then you almost forget about it, right? You almost forget about that initial vehicle right. that has been used as the jump off because these subplots are anything but subplots, yeah. right? This is true. Um, so we are... Uh, on to Clipperton. I just anything that anybody may have thought of from last time after we uh, went our ways. People? You left off around four oh seven last time. I think that's uh, what yes, yes. Okay. Um. So all right. So we'll get in. Uh, yeah, I think it's funny that the way that Clipperton is introduced is um, kind of in an homage in Mario's film, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it sounds at least to me, and I didn't pick up up on this my first time through, cause I don't know. Um, but it sounds to me like maybe that part of the story in real life didn't happen. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but in the uh, in the book, at least, it, it's it's mentioned that you know those ETAs who were in the know a little bit kind of wink, you're like, oh yeah, Clipperton, um, which is interesting. It, it would be interesting to think about Mario inserting into the play gate or into the puppet show, um, gentle actually you know, kind of winking uh, towards Clipperton. So he is actually introducing that into um, kind of the script or, or the story here, um, which is is definitely really interesting. Um, that too, actually. I, I, I kind of was like, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so those... 
resonates powerfully with those members of the movie's ETA audience who know that this whole parodic pseudo Onantiad scenario is actually a puppet Aklef type illusion to the dark legend of one Eric Clipperton and the Clipperton Brigade. Um, I think it's funny that it's introduced as the Clipperton Brigade, and then there's this one little mention of what the Clipperton Brigade is, and then it's dropped. Um, you know, the Clipperton Brigade being those folks who were lined up to play him, but didn't have to. Um, so, yeah, Clipperton, who, who wants to uh, kick us off here? So uh, Clipperton, I mean, obviously we all know uh, Clipperton basically runs the tennis court with a gun to his head, right. threatening to commit suicide if he were to lose the game. Yeah. Um, which, all right, let's forget about the cartoon nature of it first, but let's just talk about it in terms of generalities or or concepts. I mean, what does that say about, you know, when we think about some of the bigger themes of this book, addiction, entertainment, um, manufacturing good things, how does this concept play into that? Well, I think like the biggest concept that he was kind of getting at with this was the whole going back to the Johnny Gentle thing is like the idea of like brinksmanship. And like, you know, those like how he said, how are you going to get Canada to take back all this stuff or whatever? And it was like simple uh, statesmanship, blah, 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 and then brinksmanship. And so like, you know, that's kind of how they, the, the, how the illusion was like, went over to Eric was this idea that he's willing to risk it all. Yeah, like first we're going to try it the right way, right? Like, <laughs> like, how, how are you going to get them to do this? Oh, I, haven't you read a fucking book? I'm at brinksmanship, you know, I'm going to, uh, statesmanship, I'm going to allude to them and blah, blah, blah. And then he said, yeah, and if that doesn't work, I'm going to stick a gun up his ass. Okay, good. Very subtle. Very subtle. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, th there's there's that part of it, I would say, on the international side of it, um, which, I mean, it's it's scary to think about, but I mean, we're, we're, we're these things that seem so cartoonish or maybe would have 20 years ago don't seem as cartoonish anymore. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only person scared to death that the people running this world are 85-year-old white guys. Yeah, but, I mean, I've seen them trying to maneuver a cart at the at the shopping center. I can't imagine them being in charge of the world. But in any case. Um, so, so, yeah, that's the international side of it. But, but what about the other side of it? I, was it last time or the time before? how many pages and hours did we spend discussing the preparation that they put into tennis at ETA? I mean, they eat, sleep, and breathe tennis and have for years and years and years and years and years. 
and they do 55 drills a day just to get that extra inch to reach that backhand. And this asshole shows up with a gun to his head. Um, so, so again, I, I think it says something about how seriously we take sport and entertainment as well as the, the, the time and effort that we spend preparing for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause again, it, it, it's remind, I don't know, maybe it's naked gun, but certainly one of those movies where like a guy lines up and does all these karate moves and Hi-ya! and then the other guy just like pulls out a gun and shoots him. Like, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there, there's that in that it is the great equalizer. Right. And, I mean, extend it maybe even to Eschaton. I mean, this is a terrorist strategy, right? Hey, I can't compete with you. There's no fucking way. If we stand here and we go mano a mano, I'm going to lose every time. So why am I going to do that? If I do that, it shows that not only am I not as good as you, I'm not as smart as you. So, so yeah, to that extent, he is taking um, that into his own hands. Um, but what do we know about Clipperton's motive? Like his motive for running the baseline with a Glock to his temple. I forget. I, yeah, I don't think it's mentioned. Um, at least from Clipperton's side of it. I know uh, the ETA's surmise, you know, when the story comes out or when the poll comes out that he's number one, someone says, well, this must have been what he wanted. But, you know, we know that the ETA's are a little fucked up in the head in terms of judging what other people want, you know, when they do something. I I think about... uh, what was it? Uh, one of the goofballs talking about uh, Michael Cho or uh, Michael yeah, Chow. Lamont Chu talking about yeah, talking about the pictures and everything. Well, he must love it. No, he doesn't. Um, <clears throat> so there is that part of it. Um, you know, we don't know much about Clipperton's motive from him. What do we know about Clipperton? You know, from Let's say, what do we feel comfortable with from the narrative that that we can entertain as this is probably factually accurate about Clipperton? He showed up out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, he knows where he comes from. Yep. He has I-N-D. I-N-D next to his name, which could certainly be independent. It could be Indiana also. Um, you, you know, there, there are some options there. But, yeah, he shows up out of nowhere. And, I, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he disappears from whence he came, in a sense. Um, and, yeah, and, and what happened in between is pure hilarity. Um, so the 
couple of things that I had. Uh, so this is Clipperton's first meaningless victory ever came at 16, unseated at the Hartford Junior Open. First round against one Ross Reed of Maddox, Ohio, and the just-opened Enfield Tennis Academy. Um, I, I, I thought this was interesting, the use of the word meaningless. So Clipperton's first meaningless victory ever came against Ross Reed. Now, here, I know I've mentioned this before, but Ross Reed is described as tall, densely freckled, a good kid, one of Incandenza's fair-haired boys. Not too bright uh, with the satellite tour, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I think I've asked before, but uh, anything come up here in this iteration of Ross Reed being one of Incandenza's fair-haired boys? Um, in this context, does it mean anything? Does it? Was he was he was an actor in some of his? Ross time? Ross Reed is one of the kids, uh, one of the kids' classmates, one of his teammates. Um, he's mentioned as a friend of Marlon Baines and things yep. like that. He's been mentioned here before, but I just think that is really interesting choice of words. Is uh, Reed is tall. Densely freckled, a good kid, one of Incandenza's fair-haired boys. Um, it's just, I, I don't know that we've seen or heard of anything described like this. Any of the Incandenza's or anything. It, it, you know, you wouldn't say Hal is one of Incandenza. Is Incandenza himself? I took it, Jamie, as it was um, like he, that Ross was, um, and I could be wrong that he was um, an actor in himself's films. And, he, and that fair haired boy thing was like, he had like um, a stable okay. of like kids that were acting and that he, and that Ross was one of them. And like, who was the other kid that was in the accomplice? Um, you know, I can't remember what his name is, not some other Smother Girl or something. <laughs> yes, uh, Smother Girl, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, that's how I took this was that, um, that it was like more talking about like his like sort of, he was one of his crew as far as uh, an acting. Okay. And, and that could very well be. Um, more so that and then like a, a favorite or something, you know, one of his fair haired boys, one of his favorites or had some kind of. Yeah. yeah I, the, and. I, I, yeah, I don't know if there's, you know, a familial right. type thing. I, I, It's weird in that it really comes out of nowhere. Like, mm -hmm. no one and nothing else in this book is described as such. Um, you know, as if it's himself that we're talking about nothing is really described as belonging to himself. I don't remember himself, you know, ever referred to as an incandenza, let alone incandenza of, you know, by itself. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm making too much of that, but it really, it, it really stuck out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and then just to finish up here, and Ross Reed was never quite exactly the same 
<laughs> Ever again after that, both Shtit and Delint have assured all future potentially mercy-minded ETA males. Um, so, you know, it's probably obvious, but but I think worth pointing out that Clipperton's first meaningless victory ever left Ross Reed never quite exactly the same. Um, so, you know, it, well, it doesn't make me wonder, was it meaningless? No, nothing is meaningless. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it made me think about when we talked about before talent, how talent in and of itself isn't a fucking thing. It's an idea, but it becomes something. Um, so I, I think that may have been, you know, one of the things there where, yeah, it was a meaningless victory, I guess, but not to yeah. reap, it wasn't meaningless, yeah. not to ETA, it wasn't meaningless, not to the Onantiad, it wasn't meaningless. Um, so yes, and we move on. Um, and this is kind of a weird little segue here into the advertising world. Um, you guys, what did you guys think about, about this section or, or the way that we get in there? Um, I, I took it, I think, like, and it, I think it co comes on later in the book, too, when, like, Hal starts to get, like, a little down or depressed, he, like, starts thinking back about, like, himself and about, and about like, past stuff. And so he's kind of, like, maybe, <clears throat> um, you know, him saying uh, the only thing more depressing than paying than thinking about himself is is you know uh, to pay attention to or think about would be advertising and the repercussions of on anti reconfiguration yeah so he kind of like like is like like going back like in his like mind and just kind of like trying to like get his thoughts off of himself i guess okay yeah um yeah, I had written down here where I just have random kind of scribblings. Um, where the fuck is something like something like who the hell is narrating and why? Um, like, just it's it's just such it, it's such a strange segue. Like, it just again something that you don't see elsewhere in the book or or some something that i don't remember seeing so yeah i have who what is narrating and why is it how all fucked up um maybe um you know because yeah that that part that you just read kevin was exactly what i was talking about you know they're, they're sitting there watching this movie and then i'll Boy, it's almost like a bad uh, Family Guy episode. Boy, the only thing worse than this is one of himself. You know. <laughs> um. So, so yeah, with that uh, brilliant, subtle, and Swiss watch-like segue, 
We are into Hal's essay about advertising, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, did you guys like this essay more or less than the one about Hawaii Five-0? Oh. Definitely more. More, yeah. Hi, Hime. How are you? Hi, hi, hi. Um, yeah, I loved it too. This, like, it to me, it's like good stand-up comedians are both funny and like true. Like a lot of times, I'll be laughing my ass off and be like, "Why am I laughing? This is true. This isn't funny. This is sad. This is, you know, or or whatever." And this is absolutely something that you could see happening, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it's very well pointed out that only to the advertising industry could this happen to, and that it couldn't happen to a nicer group of people than, you know, the advertising industry. Um, <laughs> But it, it is very well, it, it, think about like um, tissues, like the brand name thing. When, when something becomes used so much that it's like a synonym, then you're almost fucked because now anybody can call their tissues Kleenex. So you kind of, as a, a brand, you want to get right to that level where everybody calls your shit Band-Aids, but but not enough that a judge agrees with you that that they're all called band-aids now um because then you did your job too well and then you're fucked um and that's kind of what happens here right um first off did you guys know that tongue scrapers were a thing no i think so yeah i think i think so i didn't you didn't yeah i did not but they are a thing. Um, I went to a photo shoot about a year ago and like, like my, my friend handed me, I said, what the fuck is it? Like, it almost looks like a shoehorn. She's like, oh, it's a tongue scraper. I said, what? <laughs> That's a thing. So it is a thing. Tongue scrapers are a thing. Um, she wanted you to share it with you with her. I I, I don't know. I think she was just <laughs> helping me out. I, I don't know. Maybe like, maybe she wanted to share. Maybe clean. she wanted to share an ice cream, Kevin. I don't know. <laughs> um, so so yeah, the advertising here it's 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 crazy and it's hysterically awesome. That yeah. basically that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So so basically the ads were extremely effective mm -hmm. right but they also made people not want to return to the television program they were watching so the ad that ran after this one was next to another you couldn't sell it because no one wanted to be there um so what happens is as viewerships starts to dwindle because of these horrendous ads for like migraines and such they they meaning the tv companies will now get more of these ads because these ad companies are willing to pay more to have the stuff 
So the very thing that is killing these companies is also keeping them alive. And, and it's almost like they are being falsely kept alive, right? It's almost like, like they're, uh, you, you know, on a ventilator of advertising money that is eventually going to chase their last viewer out the door. Um, and they know it and they can't do anything about it. Does that sound like anything else in this book? Hmm. Like everything, right? I was going to say it sounds like everything else. In this book. Mm. Yeah. Joelle sitting, looking at the mirror at Molly Notkin's house saying, mm. fuck, mm. man, this used to be so good. I, I had it, but it's not anymore. It's, it's not good. I don't enjoy it. I want it to stop, but I can't stop doing it. Mm. Um, so it, it's the same thing. Um, and, but of course, Hal really fucking gets in there. Right. And it really mm -hmm. gets mm -hmm. to the bottom of it. Um, and again, I, I had, it's just a brilliant catch 22, um, that there, there is no way around it. Yeah, it's um, a little bit too, like a, like a double bind, you know, yes. like, like, you know, then that, that same sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's a much clearer double bind than any of the other poor examples that are in this book, I think. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's one of the clearer conundrums in the book. Um, it's like wanting to drink a seltzer during a podcast, but it makes you burp. So you're kind of like, yes. crap, I want to be cooled off by my seltzer. And I'm so thirsty. I'm yeah. so thirsty, but it makes me burp and I don't want to. Yes. Um, I want to another sig, but Jamie's got four days, no, man. Please, I want to be the bad influence. <laughs> I want everybody to smoke cigarettes since I haven't. No. Um, so, so yeah, there is some talk here, obviously, about uh, uh, Viney and Veals, right? Mm -hmm. They are the advertising agency that brought you all of these things. Um, later, there is a brilliantly funny little aside about P. Tom Veals, who was at that time mourning his remorse-tortured partner's half-gainer off the Tobin Bridge by drinking himself toward pancreatitis in a Beacon Hill brownstone. Yeah. Um, I believe that the Beacon Hill brownstone is the same description given for Molly Notkin's house, mm. which used to be uh, Joel's house, which also may or may not used to have been the Incandenza's house. Beacon Hill is a little off from where um, where that would have been. I think that's more like a little bit more back bayish. Okay, but, so it, it was just the brownstone, yeah. and because I don't know, I know a brownstone is a type of home. Is it um, common? In in there it is. And does it denote anything like affluence, non-affluence? Probably at, at one time, maybe. But, you know, now it's like they're kind of all over the place down there. So it just kind of depends on where. Okay. Now. Um, so, 
Yeah, uh, Viney and Veals we know because uh, Ken Erdetti works there. I think we can also imagine that the reason that Veals no longer has a partner is because of this whole thing, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, it's almost like, hey, congratulations, you just broke the internet, but you used to own the internet. <laughs> so, so what are you doing now? Um, yeah, so, uh, we get through the, uh, tongue scrapers and things. Um, there is a, one of the advertisers mentioned here is the Nunhagen aspirin, which, uh, I probably remember is on the side of the car, most likely driven by steeply, uh, during the Eschaton game. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's that, that's, um, the advertising thing, which I, I, again, it, it really seems kind of forced in here to me. Um, I can see how thematically it works where it is, but again, it just kind of seems to be forced into the uh, narrative. Um, and then we do jump right back into Marath and Steeply, right? Guys. Yay! <laughs> yes. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like this, to me, these little interludes are really starting to tie things together um, in that maybe on their own, it doesn't mean very much, but when using this, these scenes um, to tie together what's happening in other scenes, I think it, it, it's really starting to fall into place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um all right, so Marath and Steeply, I don't know, part 85 or something. Um, <laughs> Love these guys. Yeah, so so what, anything jump out at you here? Anything different uh, about, you know, this iteration with these guys? Uh, just because I've done this, the uh, first sentence, Marath did not quite sleep. Um, okay, so that's how we're introduced to this section. Um, any, what'd you guys notice about this? Long. It is long, yeah. Um, to me, here, here I see, what, I don't know if this is the first time, but I think, I wrote it down, I think, to me, it's clearer or it was more evident to me that they don't trust each other. I thought I had the idea, the impression, the illusion. I don't know that in previous conversations, they, I thought that they would, they did try or they could trust each other. But here we see that, or at least again, it, to me it was evident that they don't. And the, the other thing that stood out to me is that I think Marath in this case, he's really making his point. Like he insists, he tries. I think he's, he's, better at this is the point that he's trying to make it even maybe winning the argument over sure. um yeah i this is and i guess you can tell from the first sentence 
this is very clearly from Marath's point of view. Right. Um, and I will say that it is markedly different than any other of these sections, the Marath Steeply sections, but certainly of any windows of Marath that we've had. Um, mm -hmm. Do you guys think that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whereas before, even if they were suspicious of each other, they kind of, I don't know, it was like an undercurrent. They, they stayed like yeah. amicable with each other. Whereas now I feel like the yeah. suspicion is more coming out like, eh, huh, you know, I don't know. How to yeah, it was, yeah. Um, it was more professional courtesy before. Yeah, exactly. And now they're kind of putting their cards on the table more or something, you know. Or, right. And is that yeah, because, yeah. is that because yeah. they're so tired? Is that because, like, I, 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 there could be any number of reasons for it, but hmm. any idea? What, what do you guys think? I don't know. It says Marat was able to refresh himself without sleeping. I don't think it's tired. Maybe he is just, he is losing his patience. Like, this is, this guy, he's not getting it. You're trying to convince me or to pay a picture that is nice and beautiful, but he's not. So I maybe he's more determined to make his point. I don't know if it's a matter of patience or tiredness. Sure. The pressure of it all. He's just finally kind of like at his wits end or, or yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, go ahead, Hime. I was I'm sorry. I just I I I was thinking about kind of like preparing what to say or what not to say for this meeting because I was I'm worried not worried but I wonder if it's appropriate because they talk about the American culture here a lot and Marat is making a point that is kind of very anti-American culture what that means at least according to Steve or the idea that he has that I'm sure. thinking maybe many people have the same idea so I wonder if. We could talk about i don't want to be inappropriate or rude or aggressive. i do we could talk about offensive we would talk about this instead of american culture like talk about culture in general or culture mm. the way culture is here in the west um i don't know if i it, that's clear, I, what i'm saying I, yeah no spoken as only a non-american could he may um okay. and I, I totally get that because that is probably this characterization is probably something that most countries would say, no, that's not us. I'll be the first to say it's us. Like it is 100% American. Um, I mean, look at anomalies that we have here in America. Um, it, it's, it's not a flaw, it's a feature. Um, it, it's a feature of capitalism, it's a feature of American society, American upbringing, um, you know, this, and to me really kind of what they're, what they're talking about with or without knowing it, I mean, is kind of like what Hal was talking about that the advertising people were going through hmm. that if you had your own drug. I mean, Huey Lewis said it, right? He wants a new drug in 1984. Um, but I mean, look at all of the people we've met in this book who, despite knowing that what they're doing is killing them, 
they will sit there and literally kill themselves if they have enough substances to do so. Uh, poor Tony and his crew. How long would they fucking last if you told them, hey, guys, here's your pile of heroin and there's another one where that came from? They'd be dead in the morning. Or, or, or if not the morning, they'd be dead... I assure you they would be dead and it would be heroin related just as clearly as the entertainment. Um, you know, these addicts are as powerless, it seems, to their substance as these folks are to the entertainment. The antidote, apparently, AA. I, I, I don't know. Um, but... As we go back here to Steeply and Marath, yeah, uh, it's obviously Marath's point of view. Um, you know, a couple of things that I noticed, he talks about Steeply's dedication. Um, in, in a very, like, he admires Steeply's dedication, right? Mm -hmm. um, and for the first time, I believe, he speaks about Steeply as an actor and, you know, and this being a role that he is pulling off and that he's pulling off quite well. Um, again, the allusions to Hamlet are there with the play within a play and uh, the observed of all observers. Um so, so yeah, they're both acting in a sense, but Marath definitely points that out, um, you know, that, that he admires. And again, here he's calling him M. Hugh, right? Hugh mm. Helen Steefley. Um, and then what do you guys make anything of all this talk about Steefley's feet? I get that Steefley's feet are gross. I could have guessed that without all of this repetition. <clears throat> Is it because Marath doesn't have them? Maybe. So he's like huh. chewed into it? Sure, that that could definitely be. Um, yeah, I mean, that makes as much sense as anything that Marath doesn't have feet. So, you know, it's probably something he notices pretty frequently. But Steve even mentions it once too when they're talking about all the stuff that would make like an American or like like when they're saying about how like um I don't even know like uh he's like when they're going through like that list, I think it's on page four twenty-three of like all the different things that kind of like make the USA like kind of great. And I think even Steepley says like, you know having shoes that don't make your feet hurt or something like that. Sure. Um, uh -huh. so he's uh -huh. even kind of, you know, he's, it's that whole, like, he's like rising up on his feet, like how standing on. Yeah. Yeah. And it even says, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Steeply rises up on those toes or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So, so there's like, a lot of that, like talk of, you know, feet in this whole book. I mean, Oren, Hal, everybody is really, you know, it's really, uh, yeah, you know, kind yeah. of a focus for some. Yeah, and at least here in this section, it's 
it's it's the repetitive mention of it is almost disconcerting. It's like, oh my God, and her goddamn feet. She might have been able to pull it off if not for her feet. And it was a cold night. And is that Mars up there? And oh my God, did I tell you about her feet? Because yeah. it's like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, and then they talk about the undercover nature of the field personae. And then steeply silent, rose and fell absently on the toes of these feet. Yeah. The feet were also visibly unused to high USA women's heels, or they were mangled looking, Marath noted, in the future to fall of it. But Marath knew also that something within the real M. Hugh Steeply did need the humiliations of his absurd field personae, that the more grotesque or unconvincing he seemed likely to be, the more nourished and actualized his deep parts felt in the course of preparation for the humiliating attempt to portray. Um, so he, he kind of a character actor um, here. The more nourished and, and uh, actualized his deep parts felt. That's like, I'm surprised we haven't heard that before in any other context. You know, like, the, I'm surprised he hasn't described, like, nourished, like, more nourished and actualized, like, his deep parts felt. I don't know. That seems like something that, like, probably could have come up a lot in throughout all these different characters. But I think this is the first time we're sort of hearing him say that line. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Those, um, yeah, I mean, those two words, nourished is... I mean, we all know English. Um, you know, we know what that means. It's it's a healthy, fulfilled word. Um, and then actualized, of course, is kind of a therapy type word um, that, yeah, I agree. I agree with you 100%, Kevin. Um, and yeah, so uh, the again, um, kind of on that same note, Kevin, taking a look at word choice, the word flickering is repeated. Um, so I, this paragraph here, Marath could not think of descriptions for the way steeply regarded him. Neither was it sad, nor inquisitive, nor quite ruminative. There were small flickers and shadows of movements around the flickers of the celebratory fire down far away on the floor of the desert. Marath could not determine whether Steeply was truly revealing emotions about himself. The flickers continually went out. Small shreds of young laughter drifted up to them in the vacuous silence. Um, so yeah, just uh, flickers three times there. Um, I think that part of the, uh, the triangle thing we talked about, I can't remember what the damn it's called now. Um, the Sapinski gasket. Yes. Um, thank you. I think that there are, whether it's a word or, um, an occurrence, I think that they are repeated three times. Um, and I think that I had talked about this before. I really feel like we're at a point in the book where those repetitions are happening more closely to one another, maybe 
culminating in this instance right here where the word flickers is used three times in one paragraph. Now, as we continue through the book, I think we're going to see more of these, um, you know, one-offs. The one I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the if butter won't melt or something like that. Mm. Um, so things like that. I, my theory, opinion, whatever, is that those three occurrences fit into this gasket. I don't know what they do or what they mean, but um, yeah. yeah, flickers here three times in this paragraph. For shits and giggles, the only other time the word flickers is used in the text is that's the point of the conflicted flickers in your memorized eyes, or at the most, an involuntary tortured groan, a quick bite of the knuckle of the forefinger, which, of course, was Oren in the footnote, um, the long footnote discussing the seduction strategy. Um, and uh, I really don't want to fall in this rabbit hole, but I do it all the time. Kevin, that is the only time the word nourish is used in the book was the one you mentioned. Although the word malnourished occurs once in the book. Um, so nice thing about the digital text yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it might be the only nice thing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, some other word things. I'm sorry here. Going back to the Hal part. Um, near geologic has five repetitions uh, in here. The other four are in relation to sober time near geological lengths of sober time. The um, fifth repetition of near geologic was here. The no coat spots chilling emotional force could be located in the exaggerated hideousness of the near geologic layer of gray white material. Um, V&V's no coat campaign was a case study in the eschatology of emotional appeals. It towered. It uh, kind of Uber ad casting a shaggy shadow back across a whole century of broadcast persuasion. It did what all ads are supposed to do, create an anxiety relievable by purchase, uh, which I've mentioned before. And I think that is absolutely brilliant um, because it's true. Uh, then we get Noreen Lace Forche, right? And she talks about how uh, they turn things over to cable. Okay, so now back to Steeply. Steeply said, because this is the thing about the AFR that really gives them the fantods, if you're talking about fear and what to fear. He spoke either quietly or not, that Marath could determine. The empty expanse they both faced off the shelf sucked all residents, causing every sound to sound self-enclosed and every utterance to seem flatly soft and somehow over-intimate, almost post-coital. Um, this uh, okay, so this, um, this description sounds just to me like a soundstage. Hmm. Um, because that's 
what it is. It, it is a huge room, you know, and you will walk in off a bustling hallway and you walk in and it close the door and it is deathly silent. Um, the, the other great thing about a sound stage is you can make it look like whatever you want to. You can put cameras everywhere and anywhere. Um, this is how a lot of sitcoms are shot. So there'll be one camera filming your close-up the same time that another camera is filming a medium shot. Um, and um, so this other thing that I just read, uh, actually, I'll get back to that, but I did, Marath finally said looking up and off to think reminds me a lot um, and again, this is mentioned a couple times in this section specifically, but elsewhere, Marath looking up and off to the right. Um, and I was thinking, maybe he's looking at the camera. Um, you know, if it were a sound stage, and I'm not saying it is, but if this were a film version, if this were a film, that might be what he keeps looking at to his right. I don't know what the fuck else it would be. Um, but there are a few mentions of this. Um, what do you guys make of steeply using the word fantods? Mm. Why is that Canadian or something? Well, yeah. as far as I can tell, the only person that uses the word is the moms. Yeah. Mm. You know, and I don't know if she introduced it. And, but... It's the only time, only person that I hear using it other than steeply. Yeah, it jumped out at me for sure. You know. Mm. Yeah, and and Every then time around, and, and then I believe Marath even comments on it, right? Yes. Says you know by the fantods you mean whatever. Um. But, so so what do you guys make of that? I mean, do we know about steeply spending time with the moms? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I don't think we do explicitly either. At least up until this point in the reread, we haven't. Um, but I mean, let's think about some possibilities because. I don't think that we have to 100% jump to the conclusion that Steeply and the moms are bridge partners. I don't. But I do think it's at least possible that Steeply picked up the word from the moms. So how could that happen? I just took it as like that maybe it was just a little bit more of a common word in this kind of like setting in this like in this time and place and you know post sure. you know whatever like subsidized time type of situation that could certainly be part of it um you know but i mean it, i think the other possibilities that exist steeply is probably 
Uh, this is going to be funny. They'd miss this at school. Steeply is probably up to his tits in research in into the uh, op op uh, research into the incandenzas. True. So she he has certainly heard the word phantods. Um, you know, maybe he's even incorporated it into his lexicon mm. to make Oren more comfortable. Um, or maybe he heard it from Oren, I guess. Or yeah. maybe he heard it from Oren. Yeah. Right. Um, a lot of possibilities here. But this but, was actually before he met Oren. This was back in Right. This is eight ride. So it would be a little bit. Right. So again, might be part of working on the character. Mm. Um, you know, it could be that. It could be that Steeply has met Luria P. Maybe. Maybe if, he's testing it out, like like in a sentence to try to kind of like for when he meets them to kind of sound like he like fit in or whatever. So yeah. he's you know, testing it out on, on Marath. And I believe that Hugh Steeply has worked on himself's films, correct? Or is that Steeply's father? I thought that somewhere, and I it, it must... I. I I don't think we've gotten to it on this reread, but I believe that it is mentioned somewhere that either Steeply or Steeply's father, um, father had worked on with himself on a film. Um, if and when I see it or find it, it will be... Um, it will be Hugh Steeply, not Helen, yeah. that is, you know, probably referenced. Hmm. Um, and so just, just some ideas. I don't know the answer, but I think that the inclusion of that is certainly... It's included to make you wonder why it's there and to make you think about it. Um, mm. And uh, searching for Hugh Steeply here. What do we have? Um, I was looking to see in the footnotes, but ah. Where the goddamn? Um, take off your wig and be shitting inside it, Hugh Steeply. Uh, that's beautiful. Um, yeah, I don't know how computers work, apparently. Oh, there's the thing. So, um, going down to the footnotes. Um, all right. I will find it somewhere. Um, but what else do we have happening here? I have um, a question for you. Yeah. Question. Um, right, in that, right around that same situation on page 420, mm -hmm. um, when, it's, when um, Steeply says to Marath, um, 
It says, Steeply himself appeared frightened, perhaps, or confused. He continued, This disinterest by you guys, it seems, in anything but the harm itself, just getting the entertainment out there to hurt us. Mm. And so he, like, he kind of goes on in another couple places about how, like, the, like, the OS, I always know, forget that one, OSOUS or whatever, how they're, like, yeah. They're confused as to why the AFR are, are wanting to do this, wanting to release the entertainment. And I thought that really with the whole footnote between Oren and Hal, that we had kind of hashed it out that this was actually kind of going to be an effective way to get what the AFR wanted. You know, so I guess I'm just kind of curious as to why it seems like they're kind of like they, they're saying like, you know, um, like that we're not really sure what your goal is with mm. this. Um, on the next page, it says your 40 air doesn't seem to care much about reconfiguration, territory, redissemination, cart- cartography, tariffs, vindalization, ONNI, and uh, whatever that word is, or uh, toxic waste displacement. You know, so it's like, I don't understand. He, like, he's basically saying like, you guys are happy. Yeah, it just seemed to me to, to like be, like you guys are doing this just to be assholes. Yeah, yeah. just to hurt like, and you know, and why is that? When I thought we were kind of on this all on the same page that like, yeah, this is actually going to be the best way to, as a small cell, to kind of get like what you want. You know, is because you're just going to basically, I don't know. Yeah. So no, that's a great point, Kevin, and and let's think of it in terms of um, its placement in the novel in the Onantiad. Um, and because what is Gentle's plan for making Canada take the concavity? His first plan is statesmanship, right? Yeah. And then it's brinksmanship. Yeah. Um, you you kind of wonder... Gamesmanship is the third, the third one. That's what it is. Game. Okay. Yeah. Statesmanship and And you kind of wonder: Have the AFR have they just skipped over statesmanship <laughs> because they don't have a state? Hmm. Um. You know, and this is one of those. Con- it's not a conundrum, but it's one of the the things with terrorism. Um. You know, let's say Palestine, Palestine and Israel. You think that Palestine wouldn't love to get their own fourth generation fighters and go have a real old fashioned war with Israel? Oh, they'd fucking love that. But they don't because they don't have a state. So they they don't have funds. They don't have international partners. So but what they have is rocks you know they fight with what they have so part of me wonders does the afr know fuck what else we got guys we don't even have feet for fuck's sake um you know they don't what do they have to bargain with nothing and and maybe part of it is also they also don't trust the united states one single bit you know, they could say, hey, guys, we have this. And if you don't X, Y, Z by ABC, we will. They don't trust for one minute. Um, so that is one part of it. 
I think. But the other part of it is, you know, back to our earlier point about nutcases in charge of nuclear weapons, the whole system falls apart if we don't have a rational head of state. Um, you know, let's say the four of us are heads of state and, and we all hate each other a lot. Okay. But we also know that if one of us fires or lets a nuclear bomb get fired, all of us yes. are dead to death forever. Um, so I can talk a great game about you three motherfuckers that I want dead and your countries to be dead. It is in my vital interest that you guys stay alive because I have to have someone to hate. And also, if we get a fucking wild card here, well, talk again, back to the meaningless win my nuclear weapons become meaningless, don't they? If any fucking jerk off can go go make a dirty bomb and blow it up in New York City, then what about the billions that you know countries have spent making a nuclear deterrence? Um, yeah, I think it's a great point. Kevin, I wrote that part down as well um, because I think it does get to the heart of the matter, right? Of I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I and yeah, I've thought, I, I've thought about, I have the same question too. I wrote it all over. Like, is Steepley naive? He doesn't know. He doesn't know because he's he repeating all the time. He's saying. Yeah, but it was different with, you know, these other countries who hate us because they have an agenda. So yes. he doesn't know about the goal, the objective, the, the wheelchair assassins. They do have an agenda, but it's that he doesn't know. He doesn't want to know. To me, this is, that's why it was difficult. It's, it's kind of difficult for me to, to say this, but to me, it's, maybe is this the point, the American way that they're trying to portray here in the this character deeply when he, he says, Oh no, but you guys, you just want to hurt us. You don't have a goal. Mm -hmm. You don't have an agenda. That's why this is so it's unnecessary. But it's but it's it's so clear to see that this other country, well not not country, Quebec, but this so this group of people have the only weapon that can actually work. It's genius what they're doing. They're smart, they know what they're doing, and they're so smart that they came up with this idea. Right, the entertainment. So this country, this culture who loves entertainment, addiction, right? Forgetting, not not feeling. They love that so much that that's what we're going to give them because that's the way we can win. So how is it? But which to me, I think it's just genius because it makes so much sense. That's actually the way it works. Like the ad agency. Weapon. But how is it possible that Steve Lee cannot see that when it's so easy to see so is he being naive and then when he interviews later when he interviews Orin, then he will be able to understand and see that, that, that this is their agenda i don't i don't i don't know is this a point is are they making this point on purpose so americans are naive and childish and, and innocent well i think there's part of it that because 
you like let's let's say he may says jamie i i i talked to kevin and you said you beat the crap out of him what happened oh he he had a lot of money um and i wanted it um and the only way i could get it was to beat him up so i beat him up he may like it, it's it's almost part of that but 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 you erica you beat him up and didn't even take his money what the fuck is wrong with you you monster um, you know, I, I feel like, like there's that part of it that, Hey, you're sitting here shitting on us as Americans that we can't turn off this thing. Exactly. But you're willing to kill us all. And what are you getting out of it? We're at that's least it, getting the it, pleasure. Marat, this too is making, you are making the decision. We're not killing you. You are making the decision. The decision is yours to watch the entertainment or turn the TV off. So this is not, there's not even malice behind it. It's your decision. It's even. But is that true? And, and I agree with you, Hime, but is that true? I think, what is? It, it, I don't. I don't know of anybody. You decide the first, but not the first time. The first time you don't decide because at least the medical attaché he had no idea what he was putting in the VCR. Um, you know, the second time and every subsequent time he certainly decided, or by not deciding to stop it, he decided to continue. Um, but and and I agree with you, Hime, and I think I think it's a great point. And, and my only question would be, you know, maybe as steeply, well, then why do you need to deceive them the first time? If you have so little faith in the American public, why would you need to sneak this onto the airwaves to make them watch it the first time? You know, kind of like the the drug dealer giving away the sample hits. You know, if you're so sure of your product, why why do you got to give shit away? You know, um, but yeah, I think it's 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 a good, um, interesting little wormhole here. Um, and uh, yeah, and then we're right back to Clipperton, right? Um, so yeah, we finish up this section there's a lot more but, in, in this go ahead sorry sorry but before i don't know i know we we are limit we have a limited time but i feel like we're not really because this is this is there's so many things here so what about the soup the soup part what, oh. what would you do what yeah. is the answer do you what is because i don't know i think in that part this is just so great because in that part they're more they're both making a point i think it's very yeah. understandable and it's easy to see they're both both their points but what what do you do? What do what do you think? Is that is, so? We we bet on the soup. We divide it. What is what would you have done in that situation? I don't, I don't even know if the question is relevant. I think it's just, but it's I so. I, I think it, it it certainly is worth considering why the repetition of this. And it, I mean, yeah, we're talking about about soup here, but basically. This is the heart and soul of every debate of economic theory and economic systems in the history of the world, right? 
Which is better, communism or or capitalism? Well, communism's better because my people need soup. Well, capitalism's better because someone has to make that soup and we want to get them paid. Who's right? You're both right. But we can't do both things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so again, this is where the hard work of choosing comes in. So what would you have chosen in that case? Who drinks Chicken noodle. Who the soup? I'm, I'm fine. I don't even like pea soup. You guys fight over it. I'm going to get something I like. But it's I, the only thing there is. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, oh. I mean, ultimately th there is no answer. I, I mean, oh, well, there's no comfortable like, answer, but uh, you know, well, that's a good point. I, I was thinking like, like that with, with COVID, you know, everything that was happening, blah, blah, blah. The government, any government surely could have said, hey, guys, we're opening up tomorrow. Um, there's a 10% chance that those of you over 65 are going to die, and that sucks. And I'm sorry. I hope you've had a good run. Um, now, uh, preparedness actions are blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, nobody wants to tell the truth because the truth is uncomfortable. But by ignoring Ooh. the truth we're kind of dressing it up and we're saying, well, we can do this, you know? Yeah. We don't, we don't want everyone to die. So let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But what about him? Exactly. Yeah. I think that's exactly what Steve Lee is doing. And I don't think this is an American thing. I think this is a human thing or at least a Western thing. I think we, I would have said, I want it. I would have, I want to eat it. Yeah. You, that means that you would have died, but that's human. That's, I think that's the way we, or most people or some people just think. And I sure. Think and, and I think it's certainly set up to have us think about yeah. capitalism yeah. versus socialism, um, you know, from each according to his needs to or from yeah. each according to his ability to each according to his needs. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, these sections to me, I, I, I think they're a little bit long and redundant in that I get it and we are not going to figure it out. But these two, I think, really think that out sitting out on this outcropping in the middle of the night, someone is going to solve, you know, the the economic issues of the world. Um, and, and so Marath was one of the rare types who did not examine. So I just want to see how we kind of sound off here um, before we get back. Jesus Christ, this is a long section. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Marath smiled bleakly into the, Jesus Christ, chiaroscuro flesh of this round and hairless USA face. Which is interesting because that's um, uh, Churrasquero is um, what himself is known for. Like that's his mm, specific mm. Uh, type of lighting yeah. with like the dark shadows, like uh, Carvaggio and whatnot. Uh, okay. So all right, kind of a callback to himself. Mm. Thank you. I was just about to look it up. Nope. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Perhaps the facts are true after. Uh oh, look at that. After the first watching. 
that then there seems to be no choice but to decide to be this pleasurably entertained in the first place. This is still a choice. No? Yes. Sacred exactly. to the viewing self and free. No? Yes? And then we move on to back to Clipperton. Um, uh, so Clipperton, uh, again, with the narrative here, um, you know, I, I had written that, what, what do we got, a fucking seven-year-old kid here? Uh, we've got the erection of Onan. Like, seriously? Mm -hmm. Like, that's funny. You know, but in term, it, it stands out in terms of the narrative. Uh, so all this until the erection of Onan. Um, later in this section, um, the the Mexican guy that uh, puts Clipperton number one is is described as uh, what the fuck the fuck am I talking about? Mm -hmm. uh, he's all right. Where is it? Um, rank number one. Who barely oh, yeah. I'm sorry. And had never even once fondled a ball. Yeah. Um, so again, those are obviously pretty like cheap, sophomoric dick jokes yeah. um, that again, just kind of, seem goofy just i i don't know I, I, the note that i wrote is this hal all fucked up you know because it's mentioned he's been ripping bongs all day etc um and yeah and here in this really what could be troubling section um you know here's someone dropping all sorts of dick jokes um and uh so yeah, the rankings come out and uh, Clipperton is erroneously listed as the number one player and all hell breaks loose, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Pemulus, of course, springs into action, um, making sure that there are betting odds for the next match. Um and then, yeah, it's here. Uh, so, yeah, the clay courts. The Continental Junior clay courts are coming up the following week. And little Michael Pemulus of Alston takes his power book and odd software and makes a killing on Vig in the frenzy of the locker room wagering over whether he'll bother to materialize. Excuse me. Um or whether he'll retire from the tour now and lie around masturbating <laughs> over the Glock in one hand and the latest issue of NAJT in the other. Um, so, yeah, again, a very sophomore-ish thought, right? Is, is he just going to lay around jerking off to the fact that he's the number one player in tennis? Although... Look, he still knows that he's never swung a fucking club. He knows that he doesn't do Don drills. So, you know, to me, it's kind of like, like cheating on an exercise. 
Like if you're mm-hmm. exercising by yourself, who the fuck are you cheating? If you say I'm only doing two sets here instead of five, fine. No one, no one made you do it in the first place. So, um, yeah. So like he knows that he's not number one. He has to, um, with the caveat that we don't know why he's doing this. We don't know what made him show up at tournaments with a gun to his head and start winning. We don't know. Um, some small glimpses that we get when he shows up at ETA. Um, it is mentioned that uh, Mario. So, so um, Clipperton shows up at ETA and wants to talk to himself. And then from the script of whom I think we can presume Mario's spoken glowingly to Clipperton and in Condenza, so again, here, himself is referred to as Incandenza, um, maybe the only section in the book. And Incandenza, while not quite strictly sober, <laughs> yeah. is lucid and has a very low melting point of compassion for traumas connected with early success. Mm-hmm. Okay, what the fuck are we talking about here? What? early success has Clipperton had? Right. On paper. Yeah. The early success he had was the Mexican guy that got hired at the paper. Like, like that was the only success that he had. Um, However, to take it a step further, uh, himself is familiar with the trauma connected with early success in this case specifically what is the trauma that is connected with clipperton's early success it's suicide that is the actual trauma Um, and how would himself be familiar with that his father committed suicide Um, we can argue over whether he had any early success. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how long. Um, I believe I I thought his father died on the stairs, walking downstairs drunk. His grandfather died at the golf course. I thought I could be wrong. Maybe we'll look into that. Um, but um, but no, that's fine. But certainly that that is the trauma that's associated with this. Now, what does himself know about early success in life? Well, the, the whole mirror thing. Okay. You know, yeah. And, and made a fortune. I, mm, mm. I, I guess... I, I think you're, you're certainly right, but I guess I had a hard time considering that period, you know, early success. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's earlier than than I've had it. So, um, and then, um, so I'm just. 
trying to uh, so yeah himself just trying to follow the family tree here I don't know whatever we'll take a look at it another time but we I think a little bit in that yeah. Mario part we read a few weeks ago um, yeah actually after so so yeah the, the clipper's in saga so clipperton gets in there and then commits suicide hello oh okay and then uh so clipperton gains audience with himself and mario right and then mm -hmm. he uh then he offs himself darren welcome aboard how are you hey hey everyone hey hello so so yeah, we are right at the uh, end of the Clipperton saga. So um, yeah, Clipperton shows up. He meets with himself and Mario. Nobody knows exactly what happened in that room. I don't think. And uh, except Clipperton died. Mm -hmm. And Mario had to clean it up. Mm. Um, so what the fuck happened? Darren, you kind of missed this. So we, we were just talking about this. Um, so um, of whom I think, so when uh, Clipperton wants to talk to himself, of whom I think we can presume Mario's spoken glowingly to Clipperton and in Condenza, while not quite strictly sober, is lucid and has a very low melting point of compassion for traumas connected with early success. Why would himself have a very low melting point of compassion for traumas connected with early success? And what does it have to do with Clipperton? You asking me, Jamie? Yeah. Any thoughts? And any just because we we just kind of talked about that, and um, you know, because I argued that Clipperton surely hasn't had success. I yeah, mean, this is the Clipperton saga is one of the I guess many many things in the book where I go, wait a minute, did that really happen? Or you know, but I mean, I well. Could you guys answer that? Did that really happen? I mean, how are we supposed... I know there are strange things going on in this book, but this might be in the top three strangest. Like, so, so hard to believe. Like, it, it, it it's right up there with there's a fucking ghost at the end of the book. <laughs> so, you're like, wait a minute. This is a love... This is a ghost story, too? And uh, so the Clipperton thing... You know, it, 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 of course, is funny, but it brings me to the limits of my credulity. And uh, it's very frustrating that that's even there. As for himself, what was the question? Like, why would he be sympathetic to his? To, to people, trauma. uh, traumas associated with early success. Oh, because uh, who fell and slid on their knees? Is that himself? That was himself's father. That was his dad. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, you're right. Yeah. But, but yeah, that, that was something that did come to mind. Um, it's just, I, I, and I guess it goes back to how we uh, quantify success. Um, right. Exactly. So, okay. So I have a question. 
do why is it isn't it or could could it be clear what happened like it's easy to see or understand what happened in that room this kid suddenly everything is so it's i don't think success right it may mean different things for different people so on the one hand we have this kid lamont chu i don't know how to pronounce his name i think you got it wants, right he wants to be famous and he's going crazy inside of himself because that's that's what he thinks he wants is going to feel good yeah this kid is the opposite it's, as long as it's not real he he leaves the court and disappears but then he sees now he got real he sees he's on paper he's number one it got too real this is success for some people but for him it's not something he can handle so he lost it so it's the same thing but from a different perspective so yeah. when you get what you want or when you don't get what you want i think in the end it's the same for this if we think about these two kids and to me the result so, is the same right well yeah i think so. to me it's just so i don't know not easy but it, it's so easy it's just obvious that he wanted to when he did kill himself he just couldn't do it anymore he couldn't handle the 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 pressure the expectations the living with the success um well, ultimately this is the only way that the Clipperton saga can end, right? I mean, we have spent, again, how much time talking about preparation, talking about how to be a competitive tennis player, talking about how hard you have to work, how you have to do this, 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 and this before you can dream of competing, and then this asshole shows up with a gun to his head and <laughs> wins everything. Like the book or this section would not have worked if Clipperton ended up right now being the number one men's player in the World Tennis Academy. Like it just, it wouldn't work. Um, right. So I, I think that there's certainly something about you know, the preparation and Hal talks about that th being prepared for the success that comes mm. might be as important as being prepared for, for failure or anything else. And it's, it's in the book and different parts that the kids and in this academy, they prepare or, or did, they prepare them. They work with their head. It's their head that they're preparing. It's not yeah. the body. And it's the head, the thinking, the being able to have the skills, what it takes to deal with success. And that's what Clipperton shoots off. And, and of course, that's what Clipperton yeah. eliminates himself, his head. Right. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't cut his body off. Which, Which right. So again, we go back to this as water, right? You're thinking. You're that's why people shoot themselves in the head because that's where the master, that's where the voices are, and 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 maybe that's what this kid was was going through. Yeah. So I mean, if we want to go very very super simple, this is, you know, we have shown this concept with Lamont Chu talking to Lyle. And Lyle saying, no, I, I understand what you're saying. And you are exactly right once. Because the first time he went to a photo shoot, he fucking loved it. Right. Yes. After that, 
it sucks. Yeah. And and it's almost like people still aren't buying it. So now we're going to show them. Okay? So here's this guy that did not do the work. By anyone's estimation, this guy did not do the work to succeed. But the ETAs who, again, are, are fucked up in their own way, they look at, at this tennis thing and say, oh, my God, Eric Clipperton finally did it. Now, they know more than anyone that he's not a good tennis player, but because he's on the cover of this magazine, they are suddenly going to regard him as the best tennis player? It doesn't make any fucking sense. Mm. But Clipperton now all at once, and I think, I don't think his goal was to be the number one player in the world. I don't know what the fuck his goal was. Yeah. Um, because that isn't a rational way to achieve any goal. But the ETAs look at this very simply, almost like you said, he may know you guys are overthinking this. See what happened was he wanted to be the best when they finally said, Hey man, you're the best. He couldn't handle it. So he shot himself, but, but that's ignoring kind of your point, Darren, that's ignoring the reality of the situation. This isn't a guy who worked his balls off for years and then in the championship match against John Wayne he dosed him so that the way that Clipperton beat him wasn't fair at all and that's why he's number one no it's not like that at all it, it's it's, it, it's also the, the morality you said the reality is getting ignored but it's also the morality it apparently being ignored by everyone in adults included that's why I say it's frustrating this whole story, and and I'm not saying I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't appreciate that it's in there. It's very funny, it's interesting. There's a lot to talk about, but it's like, dude, everyone's looking around at this kid holding a gun. Are you serious? Right, yeah. right. Like, yeah, you're right. In in terms of taking a leap on the uh, incredulity bus, this this requires quite a bit. Um, you know, if anybody has ever tried to smoke a joint in the stands of a high school football game or any sporting event, really, um, you probably haven't, and I wouldn't recommend it. But I'm guessing that you're not getting anywhere near a tennis court with a gun, let alone on it. So, so yeah, for any number of reasons, this is fucking out there. I had never considered whether or not it actually happened, Darren, but I, I'm certainly willing to take the trip um, that it is here maybe as, you know, a plot device or just to exemplify, you know, but I guess they do have the footage. So it's interesting. It's a great point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's super interesting that, you know, Mario cleaned it. I think there's a lot of stuff here to unpack. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a, a lot of a lot of deep stuff that that frankly I don't I don't have the background that Wallace did in you know psychology and and all of those other things. But but I'm certain there's a lot to unpack here. Mm -hmm. Um, and the fact that it's done surrounded by dick jokes in the narrative 
is, you know, just one more reason to say what exactly is going on here. Um, I just and, have to say, Jamie, sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt you. Um, oh, out of all the like the descriptions in this whole book, like one of the ones that I just always loved was when Clipperton like pulls out the gun. But both uh, himself and Mario both put their hands up. They thought he was, they were going to shoot. He was going to shoot them. And just yes. like that, that like image of him, little Mario and himself both with their hands up has like always really stuck with me. Yeah. Yes, that is that is a riot. Especially you know we know himself was half in the bag. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, very funny. And I also imagine Mario fell over. Yeah. You know, with nothing to hold himself up. Um, but yeah, uh, my brother, long time ago, him and his buddies were like in high school, they took acid and went up to the zoo and like, we're sitting in the parking lot cause it's Syracuse in the winter and it's freezing. He said a cop comes up behind him and they're like, Oh fuck, you know, cause out of their tree and the cop cop walks up, you know, five fucking 17 year old white guys. He's not exactly fearing for his life. This guys get out of the car. My brother said all of them got out. Like, he's like, put your fucking hands down. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. So th there is a part of that. And, and also, why wasn't the whole tennis gallery like this during every one of his matches when he's got the gun to his head? I mean, I think it'd be hilarious if they panned and you see half of the audience going, like, <laughs> to kind of duck out of the way of this gun that's everywhere. So yeah, the, the point that up close, maybe in this room at ETA, this gun is a real gun, but while he's playing tennis, it's a prop. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, it, it's definitely there in a few ways. Um, and yeah, and that is one of the films that is that was allegedly buried with himself, right? Yeah, right. Um, the funeral was poorly attended. Um, I don't know why, but this section just reminds me of the end of The Great Gatsby when Nick talks about going to Gatsby's funeral. Um, and yeah, it was poorly attended. It turned out Clipperton had hailed from Crawfordsville, Indiana, uh, mm. which probably why he was IND, where his MA was a late stage, where his ma was a late stage Valium addict. Uh, and his ex soybean farmer, Pa, blinded in the, the infamous hailstorms of 94, now spent all day, every day playing with one of those little wooden paddles with a red rubber ball attached by elastic string uh, with an understandable lack of success. Uh, so yeah, Clipperton, it sounds like has, has a pretty, uh, pretty good home life. Um, I don't know. So gun to your head. Do you want Clipperton's home life or Bruce Green's? Uh, yeah, I think I'd, check out too um depends on depends on uh where mildred is at the time that's how i would say sure fair based on uh, her, her purple kids description i was right. big into those yes definitely um and um 
oh, so it is mentioned that the only other tragedy that remotely approached this was the, you know, the Nestle quick that was laced with cyanide that the dad kept around. And then, you know, everybody dies from it. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, to question the narrative, how is that the next closest? That's, you know, that's like, I don't know. That's like me going to New York city maybe and dropping my hot dog on my foot and saying, <laughs> nothing this bad has happened in this city since 2001. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I, I, all right, yeah. I, I guess you got mustard on your shoe and that's that's bad. Um, so, so yeah, in addition to the Clipperton tragedy, there was also this thing where a whole family died on poisoned milk. Um, but, you know, nothing to see here. And uh, so next, and we'll probably wrap up here. Uh, we are at the Shattuck Shelter. Um, so Gately is mentioned, or it has been mentioned before, that um, at the halfway house, I think they have a deadline, 30 days, something to find a job. Yeah. Um, and this job is supposed to teach them humility. Gately's job is at this uh, homeless shelter. Um, I mean, I guess we can talk, we can throw Gately's job in there too, if we want to talk about choose your own adventure. Like, yikes, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, and again, I, I don't know if, if there was anything in this section that, that jumped out at you guys. I think the Gately sections to me, and, and for pretty obvious reasons, are pretty straightforward um, in that Gately doesn't really have the words to mm-hmm. engage in subterfuge or... Mm-hmm hidden meanings or anything like that. And I, I could be wrong and maybe we'll come across something. Um, but, you know, in this section, I, I there's nothing that jumps out at me as, oh, but, you know, what I think he means by this is, mm. you know. Yeah. Don't know. What did you guys think about that? Um, there is the part about, Stavros being a shoe guy, uh, being this close to the description of Steeply's feet makes me wonder, you know, kind of, you know, and especially in the the narrative was so unlike anything between those two before makes me wonder about what is happening there. Mm -hmm. Um, But don't know anything here besides the, the obvious here. To me, this is to me. Gately is the antidote. To me, Mario could be the antidote too. But to me, this is Gately when going through these things is so. It's such. It's the worst job anybody could ever have. Because he's doing it, and he says, and they, he goes back to Annette House feeling grateful, right? With his so he's he's is the antidote because he's doing this to take care of himself. He's. Yeah. He's showing himself, he's loving himself. And that is, I think, that is the antidote 
or the so end. Self-care, self-care yeah. as Thank the antidote. You. So no matter what it is, no matter what it takes, he says, I'm going to do it. This is one example of the job that he's doing. He's loving himself. And then when he's later, when he's in the hospital bed, not taking any medicine, but going through the pain again, he's doing it again. He's doing it for himself. I think this is the antidote if you love your okay. i don't know maybe this is it i don't know but this is the way i see it that's why to me gabley is the antidote and it makes sense that he's doing this thing it's of course it's horrible we know he's not he's not a saint he's not enjoying this job but he's doing the job to take care of his himself be better feel better and 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 overcome addiction i think he's he's yeah he knows again with blind trust right He's yeah, saying, yeah. he's saying, Hey, I don't know why it's working, but it keeps working. So I'm going to go fucking do this yeah. because I guess it'll work. I, of note, um, from the text, how he does the job, uh, Gately gets to the shelter at 459.9 and just shuts his head off as if his head has a kind of control switch. Yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of saying the only way you can get through this is by not thinking. You know, your head has not equipped you for this kind of life. Um, Which is exactly. And I think if I can find that line, but I think at some point in the previous section, it says the only players that can make it are the ones that mm. without going nuts are the ones that are, are the ones who are already nuts right. yeah so it's, again it's the head it's that i think it goes back to that same idea yeah um yeah i really think you know almost everything that that we've covered today while being completely disparate and all over the fucking place in terms of what is actually happening in terms of conceptually, they all go together. Um, you know, advertising lived on the high hog until, you know, kind of what we talked about last time, Kevin, with the, the pollution. You know, at some point, it just all stops. It's really fucking good. And then it's really even a little bit better. And then it's fucking great. And then it fucking sucks. And... You know, that's that's what we saw with the advertising. It was so fucking good that they, they couldn't print enough money. I think about being a pharmaceutical salesman during the opiate crisis. Oh, my God. I'd be, I would have fucking retired. They paid people to sell drugs that people are killing people for. But, um, yeah, so the ad people swimming in money and they couldn't quit while they were ahead. They had to keep going. And now they're all broke. Um, Clipperton, you know, gun to his head has whole rooms full of trophies, but is still going for what? Well, he's number one now. That must've been what he wanted. No, apparently not. So, so what was he doing it for? Did he do it to commit suicide? We don't know. Um, but Marath and Steeply, same thing, Right. You guys, you guys want to be entertained so badly. You know, you want a fucking puppy to carry around licking your feet all day. You know, that would be your idea of, of 
of heaven in America. And at some point, careful what you wish for, right? Mm. Mm, right. Because if and what, you know, the entertainment in these small forays that it is made left a scene not unlike the Nestle Quick behind. Um, so, so all of these different things, I think, are really, really hammering home almost ad nauseum. You know, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Um, and all right. So, yeah, we're, we're Gately here. Um, Finishes up his finishes up his stuff and then heads home. Um, the descriptions here pretty pretty graphic, uh, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, jet feces off the shower tiling, treating it like a sport and yelling encouragement and advice. Um, and then yeah, Stavros yells at him, "Why don't you all fucking go home?" And he thinks that is so <laughs> funny. Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it's coming up that section you mentioned. It's possible that the only junior tennis players who can win their oh. way to the top and stay there without going bats are the ones who are already bats. There you go. Um, yeah. All right. Um, you know, I, I feel like we should finish this fucking Onanti ad. Yeah. We've been talking about it for eight years. All right. And here we go. Um, so, yeah, we're back to the Onantiad. And, again, it's that's how it starts, the junior tennis players, right? Um, and, all right. So, yeah, as the puppet show uh, is back on, um, Uncontrolled boner during semis at Cleveland. All right. Um, oh, okay. That's uh, Dolores Rusk. Yes. Um, all right. So though there's a certain chortle momentum left over from the film's self-felonious gentle Clipperton comparisons, the Rodney Tyne Luria P love rumor and Tyne as Benedict Arnold thing seems brow clutchingly slow and digressive. Uh, plus, there's some retroactive pu puzzlement because of the advent of subsidized time. You know, that's that's that asshole that picks apart every show or movie and says, oh, he was holding the coffee cup backwards in the last scene. I do that a lot. Um, so, so, yeah, it's not just this puppet show that was filmed in the fucking closet isn't historically accurate. So apparently that gets some demerit points from the ETAs. Um, and Johnny gentle. Uh, and then, yeah, here we go with Johnny gentle who was at the football game, right? Yep. Eating a wiener, eating a wiener, seminal visionary. <laughs> Um, now here it, 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 I pointed out the word whinge is used yeah. a couple times that was first introduced. The word whinge, um, was in Avril's letter to Mario from that big long footnote, yeah. um, kind of an unusual word. So again, to see it, um, see it repeated here makes you wonder one, 
is Avril Luria, and maybe Gentle has heard this word, or Tyne has heard this word, and that's how it keeps cropping up, or is Avril helping with the screenplay, and because that's a word that she uses, mm -hmm. it has worked its way into the screenplay. Um, I think either... Uh, and then, yeah, apparently the uh, the football and actually along those same notes, there is um, gentle talking about the punter. Right. Actually, boys, the uh, coolest thing about the game was this punter. Uh, what was his name? So, again, there makes me wonder, is this Avril, you know, kind of editorializing to make someone say, oh, what was his name? Or is this gentle who doesn't know his last name and for that reason maybe does not know the incandenzas? Also, Jamie, what you said for whinging, the same goes for uh, chortling and chortle, which is a real word. And yes. Whinge is. But, I mean, she said that in the same letter, in the same footnote. That you That's are. right. Chortling is good. Chortling is good, yeah. Yes, <laughs> Great. Thank you very much. Um, and yeah. Oh, whinge. And then it is Luria P. Oh, okay. So Veals, Tom Veals says whinge. Luria P. Tutine. This is a Canadian idiom. Sherry. And who is this chick? Uh, sorry, Tom. Canadian idiom. Whinge. Complain. Petition for redress. Assemble. March in those five abreast demonstrating lines. Shake upraised fists in unison. Whinge. Um, yeah, again, methinks the lady doth protest too much. Um, all right, so tax revolt, whingeathon, etc. cetera. Uh, so the third flank chat of the triple bind, outflows required, inflows restricted, Balance demanded. Okay, so the thorn in the Achilles tendon of democratic process. So as we talked about Marath and Steeply and the pea soup and which way is better, I think this is kind of saying, hey, we can talk all day, uh, but when it comes right down to it, when the rubber meets the road, no one has a perfect plan. Uh, Mike Tyson said everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of, that's what they're saying here. We can talk all day about what we're going to do, but when it comes right down to it, you know, the democratic process isn't built for truth maybe or, or pain or tough decisions. Uh, and, and yeah, and yet the financial communities demand a balanced federal budget. Yeah. In the end, the age was handed the kind of shit that it demanded. Um, that's a Hemingway poem. I don't, I don't know why it hasn't gotten more play. Um, so here they go, still kind of fucking making their way through it here. And then gentle was inspired by the football game right yeah and and what was it that inspired him about it the cor the corporate sponsorship yeah, yeah yeah yep so in in gentle yeah hey, what was the name guys uh 
for, at the Kennel Ration Magnavox Kemper Insurance Forsythia Bowl. And this is only kind of a joke because I'm telling you, take a look at some of the bowl games, some of the names, yeah. and it is like this. And I, like, and obviously you can see that this planted the seed for the subsidized time, right? Yeah. And I don't think we're very far off that, guys. I, I don't – practicalities aside, that might be the only thing that's stopping us. Um, from ha subsidizing the years. I don't know. And um, that's what it's interesting because that's exactly what David Foster Wallace said. And this was what, 90... 95-ish. 95. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, NBA teams now have logos. Um, sponsorship has become ubiquitous. And with, I mean... Sponsorship and advertising seem to be part and parcel of capitalism to me um, because you need them. If you want to sell more shit, you need to advertise it. And when you do that, you're, you're basically, you're putting profit over people. When you're using psychological tactics in your advertising that you know make people powerless over the product in a sense you're getting what you ask for um but it is part of kind of what they say here something that democracy is not ready for um you know this rubber meets the road moment um and we are gonna have to stop here so Next time, we will finish the Onantiad, I promise. Um, holy fuck, though. Is this like a third of the book? Yeah. Past it, I think. Yeah. The section is such a good warning. I mean, you just read all of it and then, you know, well, I don't know. Like, I know, you know, you were saying, like, you don't want to offend anyone. I'm like, no, seriously. We're well aware that, you know. Like it wasn't that long ago that, you know, a crazy person with a gun was running around on the tennis court trying to call the shots and you know, on the brink of that possibly happening. I don't know. I just love right. this whole section. It's just like all a warning. How did he know? Like <laughs> he just huh. saw it all, everything that like we're going through. Yeah. Right. And, and like yeah. kind of the other side of it. Well, how could we have known? Right. Don't, don't you love that? Right. When, when something could not be more predictable yeah. and then you'll see someone's, I had no idea. How could I have possibly known? Uh, open your fucking eyes. I mean, for one. But, all right. Well, guys, thank you so much. Um, I will talk to you soon. We are forging on. Darren, thank you so much for joining. Hey, thanks for having me, you guys. Sorry, I had some trouble getting everyone to sleep tonight, but I made it. I'm sorry. I was late. And I... I I really regret not being around to talk about poor Tony Kraus uh, oh. in the bathroom oh, yeah. stall. I think that's the funniest thing. Uh, yeah, funny. Ever, funny is one word for it. It's the funniest <laughs> writing I've ever read, and uh, and also, of course, very sad. Which is the yeah, thing. Have you ever part. read Incarnations yeah. of Burned Children? Is that the one that's like one paragraph? Uh, yeah, it's like I one page. I mean, if you want to talk about a laugh a minute. Thrillathon. That's uh, that's right up there too. But it's only one minute long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I started. All right. 
start highlighting uh, all the funny parts of the bathroom stall, uh, you know, withdrawal. And it just highlighted the whole page because every other sentence was killing me. But yeah. uh, there the, is next some time, comedy next time gold. We go around. We'll talk about it. Fair. Yeah. Guys, thank you. Keep it real. Happy Labor Day. <laughs> Good night. Thanks, Good night. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys.